Well, we've been moving through a, a topical series uh, titled, I've Always Wanted to Hear a Sermon On, and I got some feedback from the, the, the congregation a number of months ago, and, and that's how I developed this series. And so we've been journeying through a number of topics. This morning we come to a topic that I think we can all agree is important for us to have uh, a word from the Lord on. The topic of racism and gospel-rooted reconciliation. Uh, this is a topic that I've addressed in a variety of ways over the years, even recently as we move through books of the Bible. Um, we've been clear about where we stand on this, and I'll just say it up front. For the Christian, there should be not even a hint of racism in our lives. Not a hint of it. One of the ways we go about battling that is with the Word of God that reveals to us the toxic sins that operate under this expression of racism. If we can identify those sins, we can target this expression of sin and put it down in our lives. I do believe that that's possible. I do believe it is for every ethnicity. Let me begin by just pointing out this age-old poison. It is an age-old poison. It's nothing new for our American culture, right? This is, this is an age-old poison. You can find expressions of racism and prejudice tracing all the way back to the early age. Why? Well, because it's an expression of sin. That's what it is. It's what sinners are inclined in their natural state to do, to, to express and, and to kind of group up and then you know, hold the other groups aside for one reason or another. Hmm. Racism, discrimination, prejudice. This, one, this word stuck out to me. You see what that is? Prejudice, prejudging. You prejudge. You judge beforehand on the basis of impression. This is what I see, therefore I judge. I don't necessarily know, but I assume. And with that assumption, I judge. I pass judgment on a person beforehand. The biblical word that we see in this category is partiality. It was a problem in Bible times. It's a problem today. Partiality. The horrors of history reveal to us the nature of the problem we face today. I mean, just think. Just think. Throughout history, expressions of racism have run rampant. In the Bible context, certainly in the New Testament, it was Jew and Gentile. Animosity, hatred, the the. the pushing away of those who are not God's chosen, right? We are the beloved. We are the Jews. We are the chosen. And you are the barbarians, the Gentiles. And something amazing happened when Christ hit the scene. And when the gospel began to move, these barriers and walls began to fall. And the call began, began to, to be one of reconciliation. Come together. One of the reasons we need to know our history is because we learn from history not only the noble things that happened, and there are noble things, praise God for the good things, but we learn as well the tragic sins of the past. One of the things we regularly do as we study the reformers, those significant shapers of our faith, is yes, look at the contributions they've made, but also ask the question, where did they have blind spots? Where was their sin? Where did they fail? Because, friends, we can learn there too, can't we? We need history. Sadly, the story of history is riddled with compromise in the church on issues that are so clear in Scripture. I mean, there are entire denominations in our country that were formed under the protection of the slave trade and the keeping of slaves. 
That needs to be known. That needs to be acknowledged. And just because we're Christians does not mean that, that our own story in the church is one that is without spot or blemish. It is not, friends. And we need to know our history. Uh, one of the things recent events have proven is that there is a tremendous lack of knowledge of our own story. We need to know our story. We need to know our past. It helps us understand the pain of the present. Friends, it was not all that long ago that there were literally laws in this nation that were incredibly racist and prejudiced. Thankfully, many of those laws have been dealt with and addressed. But there is an echo, and I would just say this, for those who come back against this, this, this claim that there's, there's racism with, there's no racism, that's foolish. That is, that is sticking your head in the sand. There are extremely racist people who live in this country, and they do horrific damage every day. I went to school with some. When I was young, this, what, this skinhead thing going on, weird expression of white supremacy happening and, and some strange attachment to this, this Nazi Germany connection. And, and, and I had friends who were just interested in that. And I just remember asking them, what is wrong with you people? What, what are you... Why, why are you looking down upon a group of people? Because they're different. They come from a different past or they have more pigmentation in their skin than you. What gives you the right to do that? At the heart of it, it is sin. It is sin. There is real pain in the present. And I guess if nothing else, we can all agree that we're more aware of that right now than maybe we have been in the past. That's good. It's good for us to acknowledge this is a real issue. There's pain. There's people who have serious pain and, and hurt and heartache. Hmm. The problem is, however, being that it's an election year, it's also been taken advantage of in massive ways. This topic, this issue, has become so polarized. It is so politicized. In an election year, there's nothing out of bounds, right? You can say, you can do whatever you want to try to get this candidate or this candidate elected. It's an ugly thing. Sensationalized. Do you realize that the news makes money off of promoting drama? They sell drama. And to the degree that they can accomplish that, the narrative is the goal. Objective reporting is less and less valued in our day, isn't it? Have you noticed how many news organizations carry labels of name brands in their clothing? That there's a conflict of interest that's happening between labels and companies who now own media groups who are supposed to be telling us the facts. But often, they leave many of the facts out or they spin it up. I'm frustrated with the oversimplification that's taking place. Well, we believe that black lives matter. Let me just say this categorically. Black lives do matter. They do matter. The organization of Black Lives Matter is a Marxist group that has as its goal division, not reconciliation. Christians, be discerning. Understand these things. We've got to read. Who are, this, who are these people? What is this organization pushing? They push things that are contrary to the call of the Word of God. We stand against that. But we stand for those in our communities who need a voice. No, we're over here. No, we're, we're blue lives matter. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Yes, we support our law enforcement. Yes, they've been vilified unnecessarily so. But at the same time, 
We also want to see those who are racist and prejudiced and and doing things under the badge that are evil and wrong. We have to address that. You see, it's not just simple. We can't just fly this flag or fly this flag or then we get over here and we say all lives matter. Well, yes, they do. Oversimplifying things assigns teams and divides. These issues are complex. They're not easily solved. And we we don't do ourselves favors by jumping on a team and flying a flag and then going to war with the other teams. That's division. Christians, I believe, are called to fly the flag of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our allegiance is to Christ. Our mission is the gospel. We are to be over here with gospel. We are to be over here with gospel. We are to be to the ends of the earth with gospel. So we have to be careful that we don't get pulled into this sensationalized, polarized position, wear the label, I'm on this team, I'm on this team. The reality is, friends, there is more at work than we often realize. Black Lives Matter organization is a stated Marxist-trained leadership with goals, and accomplishing those goals is evident. It's a Marxist class warfare that is taking place to divide to cause people to identify with this cause and then rise up, right? It's not the economic warfare that Karl Marx wrote about in the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, right? In the the, the working class rising up against the ruling class. It's different. It's a twist. This is social Marxism. Find your cause, rally a team, and start a revolution. Is that peace? Are we looking for peace here? Critical race theory is an expression of this. It's basically the same thing expressed in various forms. Well, we stand for gay rights, and so we're going to gather around that. We're going to identify that as our identity, and we are going to take up that mission, and we're going to go start a revolution. We're going to target the enemy. Anybody who disagrees with us, they are the enemy. We go after them. It's purposeful. It's divisive, and it's seriously hurting our nation. Sometimes the facts get in the way of the narrative. News organizations know that, and we have seen, friends, over the last number of months, purposeful decisions again and again and again by the media to leave out or completely fabricate the narrative Uh, leave out the facts or fabricate the narrative to push the agenda that they have. Prejudgment happens constantly. Cancel culture is alive and well, maybe more prolific than ever, especially because of social media and the speed with which you can cancel, respond, prejudge, and then mob justice takes place. You're out of business. You're canceled. You're done. Assigning a label to someone, you're a racist. That should cause a Christian to tremble. That we would ever be so quick to to say words of someone like that. We stand as those who would give an account before the Lord. At the same time, We can't say there are no racists. We stand to give an account before the Lord. Hmm. I want to give us a call as believers this morning, a call for patience and discernment. You cannot trust everything that you hear on the news to be accurate or true. You cannot trust the calls of this party or this party to give you the path to walk as a believer. I'll tell you what you can trust. This book. This Word of God. This is where we find our path in troubled times. 
It is the authoritative word of God that we need to listen to, engage, hear from, and follow, come what may. No matter what, we go to the word. And so this morning, I mean, we could spend time talking about all of the reasons we have for being divided and all of the differences. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to go to the Word and hear from God and consider all of the area that we share actually in common. We have tremendous common ground. So let's begin. Number one, our common descent. Our common descent or lineage. Think about this. Acts 17, 26. Paul writes this as he speaks to uh, those on the Acropolis. He says, He made... That's God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods. I love that. Allotted periods. There are seasons of this and seasons of that. And the boundaries of their dwelling place. God is sovereign over the nations. He is sovereign in such a way that He can say, they're my nations. I created them. And they came from one man. That's a problem for those who embrace naturalistic evolution, isn't it? We have one race. It's the human race. I don't say that as a cliche here. I mean, literally, according to the Word of God, there is one race. There are various amounts of pigmentation in skin, various locations of expressions of culture and all of these things, but there is one race, the human race. And it is a beautiful family tree. Consider this. If we could come up with a, a genealogy test, you know, it, you, you, you take the blood test, that would guarantee that it would always come up as Adam and Eve. The problem is we couldn't sell any because everyone would know the answer before you took the test. But it would be more true than any other test, wouldn't it? You're a descendant of Adam and Eve. Oh. And so are you. Oh. We're family. We are all family. All of us. We're family. Everywhere you go on the face of this earth, you will run into family members. We share a common descent. Social Darwinism wrecks this construct that the Bible creates, first, by removing God from the equation, second, by suggesting that uh, evolution, naturalistic ev evolution occurred, which makes us, we're basically animals. We're, we're another kind of animal. And, 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 and the ethic here is crazy. In social Darwinism, there is no ethic. There is no morality. There is no, if we're honest, it's only a social creation to get along. So survival of the fittest kicks in. If you want to kind of get your mind around where Hitler came up with the insanity of his goals, of the master race, you know where it traces back to? Darwin. Survival of the fittest, man. Let's push it forward. Let's move forward. Let's, let's create the master race and we'll eliminate those who are weak and crippled and mentally ill. And let's take the Jews out and any other person that we can identify that would in any way delude or threaten this Aryan race. It's godless and it's completely against the Word of God. Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood. Eugenics, guess where she started? Darwin. Survival of the fittest. How do we get the master? How do we speed up evolution? We do so under the guise of planning parenthood. Specifically targeting the African American population. You want to find a racist? That woman was incredibly racist. And that continues today. Protected and provided for, most often, by a party that claims to be representing 
the African-American community. It blows my mind. May God, just pray with me on this, pray with me. May God bring modern slavery to an end. This is our slavery of our day. This is it. It's, it's happening still. Generations to come will ask us, what took you so long to stop this insanity of murdering babies? Maybe soon we can see an end to abortion. May God show His grace. So our common descent, number two, our common distinction. This is significant. Our common distinction. God created, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Now next week, we're going to really build that out. Consider gender. Consider the differences between men and women as God's glorious design. Today, I just want to point out the fact that we share in who we are the image of God. And God bless them. Humanity is not animal. Humanity is distinct from all other creation. Even angels do not have what we have. We carry the image of God. The image of God. We are reflectors of the glory of God. Emotions, intellect, will, soul, spirit. Think of the expressions of of conscience that just confirm these things. Why do we cry for justice? Because we carry His image. Why do we cry for mercy? Because we carry His image. Why do we long for peace? It's an echo of His excellence. Hmm. The imago dei. Every single human being from the moment of conception to the moment of entering into the grave and on from there for eternity, we carry the image of God. That means that every single human being regardless of the amount of pigmentation in their skin, regardless of the location or their culture or their experience or the money in their bank account or whatever else we could figure to distinguish. They have dignity and they have value because they carry the image of God. Now, we share this in common, friends. This, this is our common ground it's amazing. We, what we share in common far outweighs our differences. I love how John Piper put this. Let me, let me read this to you. Finding your main identity in whiteness or blackness or any other ethnic color or trait is like boasting that you carry a candle to light the cloudless noonday sun. Candles have their place, to be clear. I am not suggesting that one's culture or ethnicity is not a big deal. It is. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's a good thing. Paul proves that when he says, oh, if I could lay my life down for my kinsmen, my fellow Jews, I would. His his bond is real. It's good. It's true. It's beautiful. But the primary definer of who I am is not that. It is the image of God. So color and ethnicity have their place, but not as the main glory and wonder of our identity as human beings. The primary glory of who we are is what unites us in our godlike, I would say image-bearing humanity, not what differentiates us in our ethnicity. What do we share in common? It is the blazing sun of the beauty of the image of God that we share together. And in our differences, a candle in the midst of that. There's a place, there's a flame. But compared to the sun, it's far less. So often... The instinct of our day is to draw identity from things that God would look upon and say, 
That's not the main thing. That's not the main thing. And we major in the minors. Now, our common devastation, there's a reason we are inclined to do this. It is because we share this in common as well. Our common devastation. Now, here we go, Genesis 3, right? In your Bibles, Genesis 3, Paul speaks of the implications of what took place in the rebellion of Genesis 3. In Romans 5.12, he says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. We're all sinners. It's weird to say that we share this in common, but we do. Like, we, we have this in common. Every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth is a natural-born sinner. It is not just what we do. It's who we are. It's our nature. We're children of wrath, the Scripture says. We confirm that we are sinners when we sin by instinct. Romans 3, 9 through 12, and then verse 23, Paul writes this, Are we Jews any better off? No, not all. For we have already charged that all, all, all ethnicities, both Jews and all the Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then a few verses down, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's the bad news of our situation. It's why the news is such a mess. Hmm. I would suggest that our awareness that has been sharpened by the events of the last six months especially should point us right here more than anything. We should be more painfully aware that we are all sinners, all of us. It is not just a group or a set of people, be them white or, 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 or black or any other color, right? It, we're all in this. There is sin to be identified, confessed, and repented of. I think it's ironic that the founding origin of the nations happened at the judgment of God. The Tower of Babel, right? We're going to build this tower. We're going to gather around our desire to, to reach the heavens and show God just what we can do. And God says, try doing that if you can't speak the language of the guy next to you. He confuses their languages. And all of a sudden, you have the origins of nations. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, well, who's saying that? Not this guy. Not, well, this guy. He sounds like me. Here we go. It starts. And we head off, and we start a town. Doesn't it strike you as interesting that God in His glorious grace and sovereignty would choose that the birth of the nations would come in the form of judgment? Only God can do that. God sees the nations as glorious. And at the same time, we track it back to pride, arrogance, rejection of His glory, exaltation of our own. Hmm. There it is. The heart of every expression of racism is pride. It shows itself in partiality. This is something that God hates. God hates this. He is not partial. It shows up in various forms of mistreatment and then exploitation and then bitterness and then hatred and violence and just turn the spin cycle on and watch history just fall deeper and deeper. If in fact these things are taking place and we want to address them as a nation. What do we do? Well, we draw attention to it, right? We march. That's good. We need to do that. We need to draw attention to it. We want everybody to know that there is a problem. 
Amen to that. But then what? What do we do then? We form factions, we protest, we riot, we tumble statues, we write books titled White Fragility. And then we virtue signal to prove that we're not racist. Ironically, so much of what I see in virtue signaling is not actually about our brothers and sisters of another ethnicity. It's about us. Is that love? No, no, no. Trust me, man. I'm on my knees. I'm telling you. I'm not racist. Please. I'll confess everything I've ever thought or said or done. It's about me, isn't it? It's not love. The problem we have, my friends, is in our nation, we have an awareness of a problem and we have no solution being brought forward. No real solution to the problem. And so we see the list continue. Anger, resentment, intimidation, looting, burning, killing, repeat. It's the same old story. Hatred cannot be put down with hatred. You, you become what you hate. You get sucked in and all of a sudden you get angry and you get mad. And then you start saying, well, this is what we should do with these people. These racist people. <laughs> and then we find ourselves doing the exact same thing that they have done. Reverse racism is real, but so is reverse, reverse, and reverse, reverse. It's, it's just a cycle. It just keeps going. So what do we do? we got to go to the source. we got to deal with the sins, the category, biblical categories of sin that express themselves in all of these ugly ways. I would say this, slavery is still the problem. It's still the problem. It's slavery to sin. That's the issue. Those who would seek to correct the racism of our day many times are themselves enslaved to sin. And so our attempts to make things right go horribly wrong. And we see this happening again and again and again. Second Peter 2.19, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. That knows no color. That reality knows no color. There's no ethnicity limitation on that. That is common to us all. What do we need? Well, we need freedom. We need the shackles, as we sing, broken. The chains need to be broken. We need freedom. Well, there's good news for that, friends. And the Christians in our nation, the proclamation of believers is where things begin to turn, where the light begins to dawn. Our common deliverance. Look at these beautiful verses. Our common deliverance from sin. For there is no distinction, Paul writes in Romans 10, between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all. He bestows His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone from any nation with any amount of pigment or lack thereof, right? From any culture, of any tongue, the gospel is good news, not just to a certain ethnicity. It's good news to the ends of the earth. That's what we have. Christians, that's what we have. We're, we, we're, we are the, uh, what's the virus, the, the, the antibody? What are we trying to get for corona? It's like a, we're the vaccine. It's us. We're the vaccine. We have the gospel. We have hope. Thanks be to God, Paul writes in Romans 6, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching 
to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Look at this. We set free from sin in the gospel of God's grace, and we are delivered to be obedient, happy servants of our King Jesus together. At his feet we gather, bowed, lead on, King Jesus. Your will be done. We are here to serve you happily, together, together. We are set free in Christ from the penalty of sin. It's so important. The fires of hell, the places that those who have rebelled against God, that's the place we should be under His wrath. But in Christ, He has taken all of our hell upon Himself and paid it in full so that we can be forgiven. We are set free from the power of sin. That slave master has been disabled. Our chains have been released such that now we can in Christ say, no, I will not engage in that behavior anymore. That was the old me. I'm a new man. It's not who I am anymore. I used to be a hater, but now I love. Now I serve. Now I move and give and help. Someday, friends, we will be set free in Christ from the very presence of sin. That'll be the last sermon I preach in this series. Our eternal state. It's one epic family reunion that occurs when the gospel hits the scene. Right? All the divisions. Well, it's, it's this ethnicity against this ethnicity and, and, and this economic class against this economic class and, and, and all of these people over here, well, they're from Linden and all of these people, well, they're from Blaine, right? And they don't really get along. <laughs> Fill in the blanks. All of our silly divisions are torn down. We have a family reunion, and it is a gloriously diverse family reunion, is it not? It is beautiful. It is a beautiful gathering of God's grace set upon people, releasing them from the slavery of their selfishness and pride and sin and calling them to love one another. For He Himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in His flesh as He was was, was nailed to the tree. He was breaking down all of the divisions that would keep us apart. The dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. For, those, uh, for through Him we have access to, uh, in one spirit to the Father, so, that, uh, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Members of the household of God. We're family together. It's a beautiful gift. As many as, uh, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Think of this. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. You are all one in Christ. What's he saying that? Why would he say that? Does it mean we cease to be who we are? No. What he's saying is at the foot of the cross... All of the divisions that would separate us are gone. They're gone. We're united. Why? Because we share in Christ. So, our ethnic diversity is our candle. The image of God is the solar flare in the sky that lights the noonday sun. But the gospel of Jesus Christ that's like that big, gigantic star. What's the name of that star? That huge one. I should have brushed up on it. It's so big, it makes our sun look like a, a, a spot of sand. That's the gospel. We have that in common. Gospel-rooted reconciliation is good news, not only for the hated it's good news for the hater as well. See, the problem with all of this push in our day is that we can label someone a racist and basically condemn them, and they are without hope. They are unreconcilable. 
It's as if the gospel comes up in contact with racism and says, oops, I didn't realize you're a racist. You're gone, buddy. Can't, can't help that. That's not true. The gospel meets those who are haters as well as it meets those who have received the sins of that hatred and been harmed and hurt. What we understand in the gospel is that we are both the hated and the hater at the same time. The hatred in our hearts is real. It's that sin. It's that instinct. We may not be murdering, but we can murder in our hearts when we hold hatred for a brother or sister. Now our common duty, we are not just brought together, but we're brought together and then assigned a mission. We have a a purpose of our togetherness. As we work together, this is our mission. This is familiar ground. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples where? Of who? Of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them, all nations, to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this morning, we have missionaries in locations that are quite hostile in many ways to missionaries. And that's just fine. We're still going. When you see Brenda, for example, be aware of her courage to go into a situation that is very much set against the gospel witness that she brings as she comes. And we sent her anyway. She's there. The commission of our King is go make disciples. Tell everybody the good news. Don't draw a line and say, well, we'll go to the people that are kind of like us. We'll make sure and, and, and engage the people that we are comfortable with or that we understand. No, it's to the ends of the earth. Every nation. That is our mission. Peter, early on, he struggled with this. Paul had to rebuke him. Right? He, was, he, was, he was battling that, that, that Jewish instinct a little bit. And Paul came back and said, hey, listen, Peter, you've got to stop that. That helped him move this way. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Neither should we. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Praise God for the good news that we have a God who is impartial. Mm. What a gift. I mean, even when He called Abraham... Do you recall the emphasis? A light to the nations. A light to the, all the way back in the curse of Genesis 3. Through Him, all nations on earth will be blessed. The seed of the woman. God has always had a heart for all nations. And so should we. The nations in our own nation. The nations at the ends of the earth. Various differences should not separate us because in Christ we're called to go and engage with good news. Now, lastly, our common destiny. Our common destiny. I can't wait for this day. This is an awesome song we're going to sing. After this, I looked and behold, John writes, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages those who have been redeemed standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb that's our king that's Jesus Christ friends in Christ we're all going to sing that song All of us, someday. I think it's beautiful how He can guarantee the end of the story. He knows it's going to happen because He's decreed to make believers in every nation, tribe, and tongue. It's going to happen. 
And He sent us to be the mouthpiece of the Gospel to fulfill that commission. Hmm. It's the song of the saints. It's the very song that we sing. And that song is not just someday. It's today. It's the song that we leave this place singing. Great are you. You have ransomed some from every nation, tribe, and tongue. You've made us a people of God. You've brought us out of darkness into light. You've called forth your glory. And it looks diversely beautiful. Hmm. Kevin DeYoung says it this way, Woe to us if our vision of the good life here on earth, will be completely undone by the reality of the new heavens and new earth yet to come. Antagonism toward people of another color or language or ethnic background is antagonism toward God Himself and His design for eternity, Christian. Friend, if you're here today and you, if you're honest, You trace some of this in your heart. You can kind of feel it bubble up from time to time. Own it. Call it what it is. Confess that sin before the Lord. Humble yourself at the foot of the cross. Ask for His forgiveness. And plead with Him to replace that stiff arm of whatever group or person or ethnicity it might be with an embrace of the Gospel. That He would open your arms to be filled with love for those who are different from you. And remember, Gentiles, which most of us are here, we were the strangers at one time. We were far off from the promises of God. We were not His chosen. We have been shown open arms. Come on, nations. Come join this great news. In Jesus Christ, He's your King too. You can have an inheritance grafted in by grace. So our response this morning. Jesus is the only hope for sinners and He is the only hope for peace on earth. It's real simple. It's real simple. It's Jesus. Friends, the only solution for our nation as we are at this crossroads of just division and and hostility is Christ. It's Christ. We need to be bold in our love. We need to be bold in our reaching beyond our own quote-unquote team. Don't settle for one flag or this flag or this flag. Friends, we're Americans. But far before that, we're Christians. We're Christians. The unity that we are given in that place under the banner of our King pushes us out of our comfort zone, out of this team that we would be drawn into. Hmm. Do you long for that? in the midst of all these divisions? Do you long to see Christ held high? Are you praying to that end? Are you searching in your own heart and soul and asking the Lord to reveal, is there any hint of hatred or animosity or or pride that would express itself in any racist or prejudging way? May it be said of the people of Good Shepherd Community Church that we are defined by our love for lost people regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of the the cultural background they have, regardless of the social economic definitions they may come in with. We love the lost. And we love our brothers and sisters. In Christ. We're family. I'm going to close with this. 1 John chapter 4, 19-21. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, 
John's calling you a liar. You're a liar. A racist Christian is not a Christian. To be clear. According to John. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from Christ Himself. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need help on these things. We know that the church at points along the way has failed miserably to stand and shine the kind of love in the midst of division and chaos. Even at times, joining in to the division and contributing to it. Oh, Father, give us wisdom. Give us discernment, we pray, to be a people who would be filled with love, slow to anger, very careful to to prejudge anything. And Lord, help us to hold out the hope of Christ as the solution to all of these things. I pray, Lord, that you would protect our nation. And I know, Lord, that the church, the faithful church, will be at the forefront of that protection. That you would bring healing among the divisions of ethnicities and and all of this racism that's been expressed. I pray that there would be, rather than greater distance, Lord, use your church to bridge the gap. May she shine bright. May she shine your love. May we here in this place be a beacon of hope for the nations and certainly for those in our own county. Use us, Lord, we pray. Fulfill your purpose in us. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ that has changed us, has softened our hearts, has literally made us new. We pray that you would bring this good news to those who have received the hatred and to those who have propagated it. Break through, we pray, O Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.